Coaches, hello again. This is Coach Kevin Furtado from the Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to episode 94. Coach Dennis Hutter has been the head women's basketball coach at Mayville State University for the past 14 seasons. Mayville State University is an NEIA school located in Mayville, North Dakota. Mayville State competes in the very competitive North Star Athletic Conference. Coach Hutter has accumulated an overall record of 205 and 177 during his tenure at Mayville State. The Comets have had 10 winning seasons of the 14 seasons under Hutter. Hutter's developed five 1,000-point scorers and numerous All-American and All-Conference players. In the past seven seasons is where the Comets have seen the most success under Coach Hutter. During the past seven seasons, the Comets have accumulated an overall record of 137-60. and 60. Also, during this time, the Comets have won two conference championships, have qualified for the NEI National Tournament twice, advancing to the Sweet 16 in 2014. Hutter also has developed two Conference Players of the Year as well, being named NA <clears throat> North Star Athletic Association Coach of the Year twice, once in 2014 and the other was in 2019. The Comets are coming off another successful year under Coach Hutter. The Comets finished last season 19-8 overall and 11-3 in the North Star Athletic Conference, <clears throat> which allowed them to capture their second conference championship. Hutter has been married for 21 years to his wife, Missy. They have four children, Allie, 20, Brianna, 17, Jake, 14, and Cole, 10. Let's welcome Coach Dennis Hutter. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dennis. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. How's the audio? Can you hear me good? Yep, I can hear you just fine. All right, great, great. Hey, I appreciate you coming on, man. I um, I'm so excited. I've been really watching a lot of your videos and, um, I always, I kind of look for coaches that are great, uh, teachers of the game and small college coaches and so forth. And you definitely fit that mode. So, um, I appreciate you joining me. No, I appreciate uh, you having me on. I'm looking forward to talking some basketball and, uh, just kind of sharing the knowledge. I appreciate you putting the podcast on and helping coaches all around uh, the country and the world kind of develop and get a little bit better. Well, thank you so much, Coach. Hey, tell us a little bit about your background. Created this love and passion for the game because uh, I do know that you were talking about your situation earlier and so forth. I think you got to have a tremendous passion and love for the game. How, how did how did you get this? Oh gosh, I mean, I just first of all, I, I would consider myself to be a competitive individual by nature. Um, number one, so I just knew I was going to be doing something in athletics and. Uh, Basketball just happened to be something that I got into coaching and I really enjoyed it. Um, I just remember the first time being on the floor, I was coaching a B squad a high school team back in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, and I stepped on the floor for the first time. And I remember going home and telling my, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. Um, I just felt very comfortable on the floor. And, and as I got to do it more and I started to, to immerse myself in the profession and be surrounded by great mentors that, that taught me, not just about the game of basketball, but how coaches should approach the kids and, and the development overall, not just on the floor, but off the floor. I just, I fell in love with it more and more. And then, and then the teaching aspect, you know, it's kind of fun to, to help a kid grow as a player, to, to see the kind of the wheels spinning as they're trying to figure it out. And then the light bulb go on after they're able to figure it out and the success that they're able to have with it um, is just something that really grew on me. And I just, the more I was around the game, the more I loved it. And um, I, I enjoy practice and workout so much 
that uh, it just grew on me. And from there, it, um, it's something that I've, that I've really enjoyed and still do it uh, to this day. Yes. And uh, you can, you can definitely, I mean, I guess after 29 years of coaching, I, you can kind of see the eye test can tell you, I'm sure you've seen coaches that you can just tell they love the game. Right. And then there's sometimes you got, well, I'm not sure if that coach really loves the game. Can't you sell the eye test, right? You, you can see if a coach really is totally bought in to coaching, right? It's, it's kind of ironic you brought that up. We just had a team meeting on Thursday with our players, and we kind of talked about the exact same thing. Um, we talked about players and how we told, we told the players, you know, you can pull the wool over your coach's eyes a little bit every now and then, but you can never pull the wool over your teammates' eyes. You know, you can never fake out your teammates. You know which teammates in the locker room love to be there, love to be on the floor, love to compete, and really care about the group. And you know which ones are kind of have one foot in and one foot out. And then I told them, coaches are no different. There are many, many coaches I've met that, that you know, just love the game. They love their kids. They love teaching. They love promoting the game. They love helping kids grow. And then there's ones where you look at it and you go, you know, I'm not sure why you're doing this. It just looks like it's something that you're doing, whether it be for a paycheck or for whatever reason, you just doesn't seem to be fully into it. So absolutely, I think, you can tell when you spend time with coaches which ones really love it and which ones kind of are trying to figure out if they love it or not. Yeah, and that's why I search out guys like you, Coach. And I really love to pick your brain because I'm I'm here to learn something. This is not just, you know, I'm here to learn something, kind of build a relationship and so forth. Uh, I have met so many coaches through this podcast. I, I do it out. I, I just love meeting guys like yourself and so forth. So uh, hopefully I can I can pick up a few things from you guys. Absolutely. I, I just think I tell people all the time, coaching is hard enough. Our profession is extremely a difficult profession. That doesn't matter if you're middle school, high school, college, MBA, WNBA. It, it's a tough profession. One thing I always say that we can do to make it easier on ourselves is to help each other out, is to share knowledge, is to to maybe help the coach stand next to you that maybe you know something they don't know that can help make their job a little bit easier. So whether it's a podcast or a clinic or just emailing back and forth and networking. It's just a great opportunity to share the game with a lot of different coaches. Yeah, that's a great point. And sometimes you don't realize that every coach has something. I run a, a legends clinic every year out here in Georgia. And I had a coach, Randy Kaufman, who's the head uh, women, uh, girls coach at a uh, Lakeway Christian. Is He has been nationally ranked as a coach. And you would think, oh, man, this guy doesn't want to hear from me. And I, I was showing some of the drills that we do. And he goes, coach, I stole two or three drills from you. I said, what? You know, so I don't think we, I don't think we all think we have something to offer, right? I think every coach has some genius in them. Don't you think? I, absolutely. I mean, I just, one of the, another thing we tell our kids all the time and I tell a lot of young coaches is if, if when you realize or think that you know it all, it's time to get out. I mean, you know, we should be constantly learning and we should be constantly growing as coaches to try to develop our, our, our philosophies and our programs and things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm heading down to the cities um, in a couple of weeks to speak at the Minnesota State High School League Coaches Clinic. And um, there's going to be some Division One coaches down there and there's going to be some high school coaches down there along with myself. And I'm going to learn from every single one of them. I'm so excited to go down there, not just to present, but to learn and grow and to kind of share the game. I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Coach, talk about sharing the game. I picked up some of your drills. I'm actually – I want you to kind of def, uh, kind of describe them a little bit more for me. I love your UConn shooting game and your 60-point shooting drill. Uh, and you got quite a few. It just seems like 
when you're teaching your kids about skill development, they have a really a sense of urgency and a purpose in their work. Is this correct? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that we've learned when you're doing individual development workouts, and that would be for us in the summer, uh, maybe some preseason stuff in the fall, certainly in the spring, was to try to, as much as you can, simulate some of the pressure that they're going to face. I mean, anybody can get in the gym and just start shooting, but how can you start to create a little bit of pressure? And so we thought one of the ways we can do that is to create competition in the workouts. And um, what I learned from, from a coach, from legendary coach Don Meyer, who was at Northern State and was at Lipscomb University in Nashville, was the two best ways to create competition in a workout is to add time or to add score. And when you add that, you're going to add the effort piece. They're going to pick things up and play with much more urgency, um, a greater effort, and the shots are going to be a little bit more game-like. And um, so we just try to come up with drills that are game-like in regards to the action, and then we try to figure out, okay, how many shots do we think that they should make and how much time should we give them, and then we kind of go from there. But, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of urgency built behind it, and time and uh, score are the two main reasons for that. Yeah, it's amazing how many drills you see, even by major college coaches that don't have that, because I've been to a lot of practices. Uh, but I, I just think I still feel the small college coach and the high school coach, you have to get maximum out of your player. You can't have a bad workout, can you? No, no. I mean, you really, truly can't. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, something where you don't want any player to have a bad workout. I mean, every time they step on the floor, you want them to grow a little bit. Um but, yeah, I mean, I'm just a firm believer in anytime you step on the floor, you know, we talk about effort and attitude in our program. If you can give great effort, whether you're working out by yourself or whether it's a small group workout or whether it's practice, and you can have a great attitude while you're doing it, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. And even if you don't shoot it well, you're going to get better. And if you just can grind that out, workout after workout after workout, you're going to see your game grow and you're going to see your game develop. So we spend a lot of time. Um, in individual workouts, kind of pushing the kids, challenging them, whether it be doing stuff with two balls or whether it be a team shooting drill where we're going to have six, seven, eight balls going at one time and getting them to just have play with great effort and great attitude and just see themselves grow. Yeah, I love that. You can definitely see, and I'm recommending to all the coaches who are listening to go to your website. I know you're going to talk about that more. Hey, tell me some of your mentors because I, I know I had quite a few mentors, guys that I can I can call right now and say, hey, you know, come to my practice. And they would and give me some honest feedback. Tell, tell me some mentors that you have. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a few of them. I mean, I would start with um, Dave DeWitt is probably my, my biggest mentor. He's actually the head women's coach at Anoka Ramsey Community College in Minneapolis. And they are a perennial Division three national tournament team every year. Um, they won the national championship, I think, a couple of years Um while he was there, he was my high school coach. He played for Don Meyer when Don Meyer first started at Hamlin University before he went down to Lipscomb. So that kind of wow. kind of tells you yeah. the, connect, the connection there. And that was how <laughs> I got to know Coach Meyer so well. Um, sure. But he's been my biggest mentor. I played for him for four years in high school. I coached with him for four years after I graduated. And then um, he helped me get the girls job there. And it kind of went on from there. But he's been a father figure to me. I mean, outside of my dad, he's probably the second most influential you know, male in my life. And he's kind of really shaped me, um, not just on the floor, but off the floor. I met my wife of 21 years through him. Um, it's just been a situation where he's been a great role model for me, both on the floor, you know, growing as a coach and learning the game and, and trying to do things the right way. And then certainly becoming the man that I like to think that I am today. So he's been a great, 
influence in my life. Um, Kelly Kruger has also been another big one for me. He was a longtime coach at Southwest Minnesota State, uh, the women's coach down there. He's now at Iowa Central Community College. And he's the one that gave me my first job at the college level. Uh, $2,000 a year is what I got my first two years doing it. Um, and, so, sure. and, and I, I left a, a pretty successful high school program to go down there. My wife had to kind of support the family for two years, which was great. She was a trooper through the whole thing. But um, he really taught me. I, le- I learned so much from him. The biggest thing I learned from him was how to structure and organize a practice. You know, we were a successful high school team. And so when I went to college, the, to the college game, I kind of went, well, I know what's going on here. I'll grow a little bit. And then I know this and I know that, man, it was the most humbling experience because <laughs> when I got there, I realized I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. He taught me so much about an organization of practice. I never met a guy who got more out of a 90 minute to two hour practice than him um, from the organization to the pace and tempo of practice to the um, to the layout of the drills, just everything through, he was phenomenal. And then getting the kids to play extremely hard and to play together would be um, a couple of things I really I learned from him. And then Coach Meyer, who obviously was at Lipscomb and then at Northern State, is a big mentor of mine. Um, I just idolized him growing up um, as a young coach. Just I wanted our camps to be like their camps. I wanted our clinics to be like his clinics. I wanted to be a teacher like him. I wanted to be someone who could share the game like he did. I just felt like he was just phenomenal at just sharing knowledge and always being available. Anytime he called him, he always answered. Anytime he emailed him, he always emailed back. So those would be three people that I would think have been very influential in my life. Uh, Those three are pretty good, Coach. I mean, that – and it's funny with Don Meyer in a sense that I still think he's underrated as a. I know a lot of people talk about Wooden. Yeah. I would say Don Meyer is one A. Uh, he has been so. I mean, talk about every coach, every major coach has had some type of, of influence from Don Meyer, right? Absolutely. I mean, he's had such an impact on the game, you know, at just about every level. And I just think the biggest thing that I was so impressed with him was just the openness that he had within his program, his openness. If you went to work camp, his openness, if you tried to contact him, he was just always open and available and willing to share. I remember going there when I was 22 years old down to Tennessee and he would just say, there's the file cabinet, go through any file you want in there, take anything you want. If it's the last one, just make a copy of it. So I don't lose it. But if there's five or six, go ahead and take whatever you want to take. And I'm sifting through his file cabinet, you know, just looking for <laughs> stuff that, that he just basically said, go ahead and take. I mean, the openness and with all that openness and that willingness to share, he just impacted so many coaches at so many levels um, that I think it's just it's just it just goes way beyond the game. Yeah, you're not going to see that from a John Calipari. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I thought he was kidding. When he told me to go through his file cabinet, I thought he was joking, to be honest with you. And he, and he was my – my the guy I just talked about, Dave DeWitt, was with me, and he was like, coach doesn't kid around about stuff like that. And we started looking through there, and it was like Christmas Day. I mean, just pulling everything out of there. I mean, I left there sure. with a three-ring binder that was literally two inches thick of information from everything that he had from other coaches. It's just – um, his willingness to share. Yeah, you just don't see it as much now as you did back then, but you still see it. You just see it in different ways, I should say. Um, yeah, a podcast, absolutely. A podcast is a great example, you know, of coaches sharing knowledge. Websites have become very big now, um, you know, and, and obviously the videos and things like that. But 
there are some coaches that do a great job of sharing. But coach, don't you feel, cause I, I run a lot of clinics. I, I feel like the best, I think you can get a lot out of, you know, podcasts and everything, but I do feel that one-on-one with a coach, like going to a clinic, I think is underrated. I, I, I think clinics are great because you can get there, you can talk face-to-face, you can see a live on court. Don't you think clinics are less utilized now and really underrated? Hey, Coach. Hey, Coach. You there? Can you hear me? Yep. Are you there? No problem at all. Sometimes. About the clinics? Yes, I just think clinics are underrated as far as the value of meeting coaches face-to-face. Yes, I agree. Um, I think meeting coaches face-to-face is is a great opportunity. I was mentioning before, I just love going and watching coaches practice. I love watching a practice because sometimes at clinics, you can see when they don't have their own players there, um, things aren't ran as smoothly as they normally would um, if they had their own kids there. But I love going to practice. I love watching the tempo of practice. I love watching and listening to the terms that they use and how they teach and certainly picking up all the drills, you know, and the philosophy behind it. But I love clinics for just the drill sake, you know, picking up a bunch of different drills. And, you know, I've learned this over time, you know, adapt versus adopt, you know, you look at a drill and you say, okay, man, it's not really the style that we play, but can I adapt it to fit our style and make it work for us? Um, and you get that by watching any drill. So, yeah, I love clinics. I think they're a great way to help coaches grow. Yes, and I, now I want to talk about your programs. I, I want you, because I have a lot of coaches who listen, and they're trying to build programs. And I know we're early season in high school. We haven't started yet. Yeah. But um, tell me about that. the positive. Sounds like you have a really positive culture at Mayville. Tell us how you're, how you're creating this in your program. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back and kind of share with you some things that have happened, and that will kind of lead into the culture that we have now. Is that okay. all right? Sure, sure. Um, my first three years here, we were pretty successful. Um, I came into a pretty uh, a, a pretty tough situation. My first year, we had seven kids. Um, they didn't win a lot of games the year before. And um, we had a decent year my first year. Then we went out recruited, and we had two really good years. And I was young. Um, I think I might have been 30 at the time. And um, I, I think I got caught up in the success. And I don't think I worked as hard. I became complacent. I think I've got a little prideful. Um, and we had three very bad years, Kevin. We lost. Um, we only we won a total of 12 games in, in three years. That's a total of 12 games in three years. And um, my AD pulled me into the office. And I tell coaches this all the time. And he sat down and he basically told me that I had one year to figure it out. And if I can't figure it out, I was going to be out of a job. And, and I got it. This is college basketball. I got it. I understood that. I was not mad at anybody. This was on me. And the first thing I did is that when I went back to my office, I said, okay, we've had three bad years. What's the one common denominator? Well, that's me. Something's got to change. All right. If I don't change, then we're going to be going down the same path again. And so the first thing that I decided to do 
was I was going to develop a relationship with all of our players. I was going to get to know our players. I was going to try to give them a really good experience. I was going to let them know how much I cared about them, how much I loved them, and how important it was to me that they were not just successful on the floor, but that they were going to be successful in the classroom, in life, and certainly off the floor as well. And so we started to do some different things within the program um, to kind of work on the relationships, the assistant coaches and myself. And it was amazing how we wins to 14 wins the first year we did it. 14 wins. Just we didn't change our style. We just worked on developing a relationship with the kids, giving them a real good experience, trying to be more positive with them. It didn't mean coach them. We still coached them. We still corrected. We still um, kind of helped them grow as players, but we were trying to be more letting them know how much we cared about them. We went from five or I think it was four wins, five wins. I can't remember, to be honest with you, to 14 wins, to 20 wins, to 25 wins um, right in a row, uh, one year after another. And that was a big thing for me that got me to understand that, man, if the kids just know how much you care about them, they will run through a brick wall for you. And so we just started to talk about effort. We started to talk about attitude. We spend a lot of time talking about trying to be the best teammate that you can be. We talk about being a championship team in the locker room first and then being a championship team on the floor. And we talk about peer coaching and helping each other grow. What can you do to help the player next to you? And all of that stuff has just kind of permeated over the years and is now being passed down the last eight or nine years from one senior class to the next senior class to the next senior class. So this kind of culture that we had now that we have now is kind of came out of necessity because I, or otherwise I don't think you'd be talking to me right now. Um, <laughs> I, I really believe that. And I thank that AD he's no longer here, but he gets a thank you note from me. I bet at least once or twice a year where I say thank you to her just for, for doing that to me, because if you would not have done that, I might not have had a job. And, um, and the success that we've had now, I think is directly related to me looking in the mirror and saying, I've got to make some changes. And, and we did, and we don't play the same way that we did back then now, but that was certainly a start of all the things within our culture that have gotten us to get to where we are now in regards to my relationship with all the players. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I appreciate you being so transparent with that. So what you're saying is it's the human factor. That was the key, right? Not the X's and O's. No, no. I, I think we could have chased some things wrong, but yeah, absolutely. I think it was, I, I think it was me. I don't think I had the kids best interest at heart. I think it was more along the lines of me being more of a transactional leader than a transformational leader. Um, you know, kind of using the kids to help us get to where we wanted to be instead of being a transformational leader and helping them transform them from freshmen coming in to seniors when they leave. And uh, when I started to realize that there's much more to this, you know, than just basketball. Listen, I, I love our kids and we have some really, really good players in my eyes. They're not going to the WNBA. They're not going to be playing probably after they're done here. So if the, if the only thing a kid can do here after playing here for four years is shoot better, pass better and rebound better. The first thing I said, they better fire me and they better hire somebody else. You know, I mean, it's more to it than just that. But while they are here, let's use the game. Let's use the game to teach them the life lessons that they need. Every level can do that. I don't care what level, what gender you're coaching. You can use the game to teach kids um, communication, discipline, organization, being a great teammate, how to lead. You know, all that stuff can be used and taught by using the game. So absolutely, the human factor was a big part of it for us. For me, I should say, for me. <laughs> yeah, and it starts with a leader, right? 
It does. I do believe it starts at the top. You know, we tell kids every day that um, the single most, the single best way that you can influence somebody uh, with leadership is your example. You know, your example every single day should be the brightest light that you have to shine when it comes to leadership. And that's your effort and your attitude. And that starts at the top. So if your coach is telling you to practice starts at six o'clock and your coaches are rolling in at 603, 604, 605, that's your, your examples, not obviously matching your words. If you're talking to the kids about they need to commit more. One of the things I do struggle with is coaches ask the players to commit more, but then I wonder if the coaches are committing more, how much film are they watching? Are they organized? Are they prepared? You know, um, are they, are they constantly committing themselves to help their program get better while they're asking their kids to commit? So we talk to the kids a lot about your actions need to reflect your words and your words need to reflect your actions. That's your daily example. And that starts at the top. Yeah, that's so true. And it's hard, Coach. Don't you think, Dennis, it's hard for us coaches to reflect and to be humble, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think it's hard. You know, um, being humble can be very difficult uh, at times. I mean, one of the things that I do, this is going to sound really odd, but every now and then I will throw in a game from those three years that we were really poor and I'll watch (laughs) it. And that will just bring me right back to where I need to be in regards to I'm nowhere near where I need to be. Thank goodness I might be better than where I was, but I'm nowhere near where I need to be. I've got a lot of growing to do. So <laughs> that, that's just something that I do that helps me keep, keeps me grounded a little bit. Yeah, little absolutely. Humble. Yeah. And I appreciate, I, I appreciate that info that that really helps us coaches out. Cause I think a lot of coaches, Maybe if you come to a you know a new situation and you win right away, maybe you think you're better than what you are. I think that happens a lot, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, you know, we're all competitors. You know, we all we all type A personalities, and you know, we all want to be very successful. And then, but I think with anything, if if you have success over time and it happens year in and and year out, I um I I think it can kind of get to you, and you can lose your humility a little bit and get a little arrogant. We tell the kids again, talking to the kids, um. Look at your inner circle. Who are you surrounded by? Are they people that are going to keep you grounded? My assistant coaches are two former players of mine, both All-Americans that played here. They know me extremely well. They're never going to let me get to a point where arrogance kicks in because we're just all so close. They're going to keep me grounded, and I'm going to keep them grounded. You've got to be surrounded by people, I think, that can challenge you when maybe you're starting to head down that road a little bit because I think it can be tough because success can be that a little bit. Absolutely, Coach. Hey, Coach, give me your key, whether that's one, two, three core values of your program that you try to implement every day in your practices. Well, we have actually what we call our daily dues. Okay, we have four daily dues every single day. Um, And that's great effort, great attitude, great improvement, and great fun. And that's every single day, whether we're watching film, (laughs) whether we're conditioning, whether we're practicing, whether we're lifting, it doesn't matter what we're doing. We're going to have great effort. We're going to have great attitude. We're going to have great improvement and we're going to have great fun while we're doing it. And the great fun piece is something that we added a little bit later on. And I tell them, we're not going to have fun at the expense of the other three. So we're going to have the effort. We're going to have the attitude. We're going to have the improvement. The fun should come in the enjoyment of who you're doing it with. Okay. And the fact that you should be doing something that you enjoy doing, you know, which is obviously playing basketball and hopefully being on a team where you've got great teammates. That's where the fun should come in. But those are our four daily dues that we have every single day. I love that. And how do you um, 
And I, I just think this is the key, but how do you incorporate that and teach your, how do you fight for your culture? How do you fight for those values every day? Is there anything Number specific one, that you do? Well, yeah, we do a couple of things. Number one is they have a little note card, a little three by five card that hangs off, off, off their name tag on their locker. That's got those four daily dues right there. Um, okay. So every time that they go to their locker and they see their nameplate right underneath that nameplate is the four daily dues every single day. Um, we have effort and attitude written all over the place. I'm sitting in my office right now. We have a whiteboard um, that was custom made in the top two words in the upper left and right-hand corner, effort and attitude. I mean, everything that we do is built with the idea of effort and attitude. Um, and we talk about it every single day. We, every team meeting, we talk about it. Um, wherever we are, I think that's one of the things with culture that I learned is, it, you know, team chemistry, uh, working on culture, connectivity is not just a one day or a one activity thing. It is a year round 365 day thing that we are constantly working on every single day. We've got 18 players that are trying to live in one environment. And what we're trying to get them do, to do is to come together and to learn to grow. And we have to talk about it every single day. So it's something that we always hit every single day. We give them little things that, um, that we can put in front of their faces so that they can read it. And um, uh, we, we try to fight for it every single day. And if they don't play hard in practice, there's going to be a consequence. Um, we have great encouragement in practice. Our practices are loud. They're spirited. They're energetic. I just think it's a great way to, to, to have a practice. I mean, the, the scene that I think of is in, in Remember the Titans when, it, when they kind of start coming together and, and they're at camp and they're all jumping up and down and the offense is jumping and the defense is jumping and there's great energy you know, in that scene. We try to have great energy in practice as well. And if they don't, we have to hold them accountable. Uh, otherwise, we're going to lose that culture because the kids aren't going to be able to bring it every single day. We've got to hold them to a standard an expectation. And so uh, that, that's something that we take great pride in. And one of the things I get a lot of questions on when people come to camp and, and we, you know, we do team camps in the summer and our kids are here and they see it, they ask, we'd like to start doing that. How can we do that? And the first thing I tell every coach, I say, listen, if you've never done this before, you kind of need to be ready to be the bad guy here a little bit because it means holding them accountable. They're not going to like it. They're not talking enough. All right, we're going to get a line. We're going to run. They're not encouraging enough on the side. All right, 10 push-ups. They're not going to like you, but they'll figure it out, and they'll learn to start doing it. And when they start doing it, to me, it's an unbelievable environment in practice. And so we have great energy in practice, and that's us fighting for our culture every single day and trying to hold them accountable. Yeah, I love that. And I did see that in your workouts, by the way, because the, the eye test doesn't lie sometimes. Uh, and I, I didn't even see it live, so and I saw great energy. Uh, actually, I picked up a lot of things that you're doing with your players. Hey, accountability is huge, right? I mean, I think it's hard for coaches, particularly late in the year, to the hold their players accountable. Don't you see that? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, really hard to hold them accountable. Um, I think this day and age, I'm trying to be sensitive here. I've got four kids of my own. It gets a little <laughs> tougher with the parenting nowadays, it gets a little tougher. There's a little bit more entitlement by kids. They're not used to being challenged. They're not used to being pushed. They're kind of been used to maybe being not maybe bailed out, but enabled and helped a little bit. Sure. And all of a sudden you're holding them accountable and you're saying, nope, nope, my standards up here. You're down here. I'm not dropping my level to you. I'm going to grab you by the shoulders and lift you up to me. 
And that's new for a lot of kids. And I think it can get scary for coaches because, you know, what if I do it to my best player and he or she doesn't like it and they start to balk at it, you know, will they leave? Will they transfer? Um, am I going to have a good relationship with them? I'm going to be straight up and, and very honest with you, Kevin. I mean, I love our players. I love every single one of our players. And there isn't anything I wouldn't do for any one of them. But I tell them every single day, I'm not here to be your friend. That's not my job. My job is to not have you like me and be your friend. My job is to help you grow and have you respect me. Your respect for me as a player is far greater than you liking me. And so sometimes that can get a little lost and that can get a little tough. But um, when the kids understand it, then I, I just think it's a very powerful situation. But, yes, it can be tough to hold them accountable, especially the better players, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I think when your best player, I think when you're holding your best player accountable, I think everything pretty much falls in line, doesn't it? Absolutely. Last year, you know, we were lucky enough to win our league. Um, we had one senior on our team last year. Um, she was the conference player of the year. She was a, an All-American. And by far, our she's now an assistant with us, our hardest worker and greatest buy-in kid. And when your best player is your hardest worker and your greatest buy-in, you've got it. Every other kid will buy in. They don't have a choice. You know, and, and, that, and that's where you're looking for. And when you have that, man, that's a really powerful situation. And we were lucky enough to have it last year. And we have nine seniors this year. And I think we're lucky enough to have a group of nine seniors that are all bought in and have extremely high expectations for each other this year. Yeah, um, having nine seniors. Well, I guess that could be great. The nine seniors are all bought in. I think I think that could really work out well. Of course, if they're not, I guess it can work out the opposite. How do you get all nine seniors? Because you can't play all nine at one time. How do you uh, get no. them all to buy in? Uh, I, I think it, it's getting them to understand that it's not just about basketball. It, it, well, listen, we're going to have some seniors on this team, and I'm not sure how much they're going to play, if they're going to play at all, Kevin, to be honest with you. We won't know that. You know, we play in about two weeks. We won't really know that. But the bottom line is, is if you're only on this team, okay, to just make the lineup or make the team instead of impacting the team, you're in this for the wrong reasons, at least at Mayville State. You've got to learn that it's not just about the playing time. It's not about the shots. It's not about the points. It's not about the rebounds. It's about your impact on a bunch of kids and you trying to be a better person at the end than you are right now. And so for some of them, they just love being a part of the team. You know that. There's those glue kids that just love being a part of it. All right? And, and we've had to have meetings with them and let them know that you're right. There's nine of you. I'm not sure all nine of you are going to play. You know, and if that happens, will you be a great teammate? If you're willing to be a great teammate, then this thing will work out just fine. If you're going to let selfishness step in and creep in and maybe not be a great teammate, then we're going to have problems. So, but, but it's a great group of kids. They really are phenomenal. They've bought in and so far, you know, knock on wood so far, so good this uh, fall. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I love what you're doing. You're actually attacking the possible issue by communicating with them on their roles. Yes. I, I mean, you have to, I mean, they, they, they need to understand their roles, um, you know, play to your strengths, play away from your weaknesses, develop your weaknesses, help them grow, but certainly try to play away from them. But yeah, you've got to communicate with the kids. I mean, I tell them all the time, the single best way as a coach that we can respect the player is to have honest, open communication with them, which can be hard at times, very hard at times. But I just remember when I was a player, I just wanted my coach to tell me where I stood. Am I, yeah. am I the top nine or 10 coach or am I not? If I am, great. 
If I'm not, what do I have to do to get in there? And can I still get in there? You know, I, I, they all want to play. They all want to impact the team on the floor. If we lie to them and, and kind of don't openly communicate with them and we start steering them in the wrong direction, we're going to lose that respect in a hurry. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that honesty and truth is so important. I, I want to talk now about your system. And I, I'm a big system guy. Matter of fact, we run a certain type of system here where we're trying to get shots within 12 seconds. We press. We, we're, we're wide open, Coach. Um, not, everybody, not everybody can play like that. But tell me about your system. Uh, do you have a certain system or do you change it each year based on your type of player you have? Well, we kind of change it a little bit here and there, but for the most part, we're we're a dribble drive team. Um, so we we basically play four out and five out, um, and we've got dribble drive motion and dribble drive concepts built in. Um, last year we did a variation of the dribble drive. This year we're kind of all in with it, kind of um, going um, with the full fledged dribble drive, uh, kind of creating, uh, spacing the floor, um, attacking downhill, making reads, um, having the five move around and stuff like that. Um, we are very up-tempo. This is two different ways. There's two types of transition for us. There's if we give up a basket and then if we don't. If we get a defensive rebound, we what we call a DBO, which is a dribble bust out. We are creating great tempo with the dribble. We are going to push the ball hard to four perimeter spots with the five running uh, a rim run and then getting to the block. And we play very, very fast on missed shots. And we really – kind of what you said, 12 seconds, 15 seconds, want to get something up, want to get downhill in a hurry and start to create an advantage and keep that advantage. On a made shot, I've become a little bit more not – we're sacrificing tempo for organization. So we're going to push the ball a little bit, but we're going to organize it into a couple secondary break actions that we have or a few of the sets that we run and more or less try to get the ball in the hands of the kid we want to get it to on a spot on the floor where we want to get it to her. Um, so we've got two different types of transitions there. Uh, so offensively, we play pretty quick. We shoot up a lot of threes. We get up about between 25 to 35 threes a game, um, when we play. And then, um, defensively, we're pretty much all man to man. We're not a, we don't pick up full court. We're pretty much a half court team for the most part. We play, uh, personnel quite heavily. Um, we really focus in on helping and rotating. And we really, we have four defensive rules. We have no threes, no layups, no second shots, and no free throws. And that's the four rules that we kind of gauge ourselves by when we defend. And so um, that, that's kind of our, in a real quick nutshell, that's kind of our system. Um, so we play very fast offensively, a little more controlled on made baskets. And then defensively, we're a little bit more controlled, but pretty much all man-to-man. We will pick up full court like I made free throws and things like that, but we don't do a lot of running and jumping and trapping out of it. Yeah. And it's probably different coach. Don't you feel, I mean, I think it's harder. We're, we run a lot of zone trap. We're a one, two, two ball press team. And at the high school level, there's not a lot of great ball handlers. So we're trapping. As soon as you come out of the locker room, we're trapping you. Um, You can't do that at the college level. Can you? We do it at the college level. Yeah, I mean, is it? Um, so I, I just noticed that you don't see a lot of aggressive pressing at the college level. Obviously, high school level, you can do it. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, kind of like what I was saying. I, I think at the college level, at least for us, we selectively trap. We have selective trapping. Like we'll trap on the baseline hard on, on baseline drives every now and then. We'll selectively trap. 
uh, first dribble across the half line or first pass across the half line here and there. And I think that has its merits with the availability of, of the element of surprise behind it. But I think if you're consistently trapping in the same spot on the floor, the same zone pressure, there's a there's just enough good ball handlers on the floor that they can make the right decisions and create advantages at the other end. And um, and I don't know about you, but I just hate giving up layups. I really can't stand giving up layups. So, but um, but yeah, there, there's still portions of trapping that can exist at the upper at the higher levels. I just think it's got to be more selective. Right, and of course, you guys obviously you're using the 30 second clock, 30 second yep. clock. Um, yep. What do you think? I know I'm just kind of throwing this in there. Do you think it's needed at the high school level to mainly prepare for college, or what do you? What's your philosophy on that? Well, that's an interesting question because we got a great debate going on here because we're right on the border of North Dakota and Minnesota, and uh, North Dakota has a shot clock and Minnesota does not. And okay. so um, when we do team camps in the summer, we get about you know, about 50% of our teams come from Minnesota and the other 50 from North Dakota. And we sit down and have roundtable discussions about it all the time. And the high school coaches in Minnesota would love the shot clock. They really just think it would be really advantageous for the game. I mean, the way I look at it is in Minnesota with no shot clock, uh, with the last three minutes of the game can become a one possession game. I mean, a team can hold on to it and you force the defense to have to foul you know, or do things like that, where with the shot clock, you can continue to play it out. You know, you can play possessions. And so I think the shot clock would involve more coaching, which would be great for the game. It would allow more situational basketball, which would be great for the game. And I just think the tempo and the pace would pick up with more shots if there was a shot clock. So we're right on the border. We're getting both sides of it. Um, And I just know that in Minnesota, they would love to have it. uh, And they don't have it right now. And in North Dakota, they have it. And I know they really enjoy it. Yeah, I think eventually, probably about five to ten years, it's going to be more consistent. I think there's enough coaches out there. I think the biggest problem, Coach, is logistics and getting operators and paying for a shot clock and getting somebody who can actually run it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that, that uh, I mean, it cut you off, sorry. But, they, yeah, that's, that's what they talked about this summer was in Minnesota the biggest issue behind it was just the cost, you know, whether it's the cost of implementing them or putting them in or whether it's hiring somebody to run them at a game, but just the cost, I think, is the big reason in Minnesota they haven't done it quite yet. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I want to talk practice, because I know all great coaches have great practice structure. Um, I have what I call my DNA drills, which we do every day. What is your what is your philosophy, and what are your DNA drills? We don't necessarily have DNA drills, but I would say, just to take your term, we have DNA skills. There are certain skills that we are going to focus on every single day. Um, We're going to do it differently each day, but we're going to hone in on it. Obviously, shooting is probably the most important with the way that we play. And so um, we do a lot of a lot of shooting drills. Like you saw in the videos, a lot of team shooting drills that involve a lot of pace, a lot of talking. There's some disorganization, a little chaotic at times because the game is a little chaotic at times. And so we, we spend. In a two-hour practice, Kevin, I bet right now anywhere between 25 to 30 minutes strictly on shooting, you know, just different kinds of shots that they're going to get. We focus on post feeding, you know, feeding the post. We do it different ways, but we spend five to 10 minutes almost every day on feeding the post. Um, Sliding over to the defensive side, blockout. Uh, We spend a lot of time on blockout. We spend a lot of time on defending one-on-one, kind of what we call winning your one-on-one battles. We do it a few different ways. But uh, we spend every day working on blockout and every day kind of defending one-on-one. So there's different 
skills that we're working on every single day, but we just, I, I like a lot of variety. I like to change up the drills, but really hone in on the skills. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I love, um, I don't think we coaches do enough one-on-one. I think that's kind of underrated. Don't you think? I think one-on-one, we have a lot of one-on-one games. I, I don't think we do enough of that. Am I, am I looking at it wrong? We, yeah. I mean, up until two years ago when we started to implement this dribble drive stuff, we did not do a lot of one-on-one. So you think of like your shell drill, for example, defensively. You know, it's five players on the floor. They move the ball around, things like that. But ultimately, whether you're playing zone or whether you're playing man, wherever the ball is, it's going to be one-on-one right there. You know, there's going to be the ball playing one-on-one, maybe trying to get to the rim, and there's certainly going to be a kid guarding it. And so we spend a lot of time on closing out to the ball, whether it's a skip pass or whether it's a one-more pass, being able to get to a guard, what we call a guarded catch position, being able to guard that ball hard with a no layup mentality and then finishing it, excuse me, finishing it with a solid hard block out and rebound. And so we do it every day, but we didn't do it every day until we started to play more aggressively offensively. Then I started to go, Hmm, we probably need to do more of this. And now it winds up being something we do every day. Yeah. And coach, give me, cause I ask this for every coach. Give me, I know you talked about your DNA skills, but give me your best, activity or, or drill that you do pretty much on, on an everyday. And I know um, I love the, you know, the Yukon drill. And so forth. we're actually going to add that possibly into our pregame warmup. I should name it after you. I should name it the Hunter drill. <laughs> well, that's the reason it's called the Yukon drill is because I was watching a Yukon video and they did something similar to it. And of yeah. course I went with the old adapt adopt mentality and I kind of adapted it a little bit to fit our scheme. And the reason why it's got UConn shooting on it is because I was watching a Gino Ariema video and that was where it came from. And so that's what makes it easy. Plus, I'm a big believer. And if you give the, a drill a really cool name, you know, the kids will just buy right into it. You know, you call it UConn shooting. I don't care if you're sitting at home making it up on your own. You call it UConn shooting and it, kids are going to be like, yes, this is UConn <laughs> shooting. It's got to be a great drill. Right. You, know? you walk in with some crazy one-on-one drill and you go, this is Steph Curry shooting. And they're just going to go, yes, absolutely. It's got to be a great drill, you know? So, um, but uh, UConn shooting is, is a staple mark of our program, Kevin. We do it uh, probably two out of every three days in practice. Um, we do UConn shooting. We have about four or five drills that we do with shooting that are kind of what I would say two out of every three drills. Another one we have is called Tennessee shooting um, that we do. We have a, a five-spot passing drill that we do. Um, I'd say two out of every three days, things like that. We have, um, because we play dribble drive stuff, um, we do a lot of what they call four on four, three on three, five on five blood work, um, which we do pretty much almost every day. But one thing that we've been doing the last couple of years, every day defensively is conversion is working on conversion defense. I just don't think that coaches spend enough time on conversion defense. I'd like us in the half court. I think we're pretty solid. But I tell the kids all the time, there's three parts of defense. You've got to convert, you've got to guard, and then you've got to block out and rebound. You know, and there's a, it's a three-part process. And so we spend a lot of time on conversion, whether it's two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, um, kind of doing it every day. So uh, those are kind of staple mark drills that we do. We do position work every day. We always break up for 10 to 12 minutes every day, perimeter players at one end, our fives at the other end, working on different things that we want to work on. Um, to try to help them get a little bit better within their fundamental work. So those are kind of some staple mark things that we do. I'm not going to say every day, but I would say maybe two out of every three days we're going to do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what's your philosophy, Coach, on playing five-on-five? I think some coaches are more drill coaches. I'm a mix. I love, actually, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. I love to start practice with a five-on-five competitive scrimmage just for like a minute or two minutes and then go into a drill and then go back to the scrimmage. I kind of go back and forth. So there's no slippage between the skills you're teaching. Well, I I don't think that that's a bad concept. We actually did that a few years ago for a couple of practices. I love that theory of coming out and and doing a little five on five because um, I was reading a book from coach K at Duke. And he said, just think about a game. You go down to the locker room, you come out, you warm up. And what's the first thing you do? You jump up the ball and you play. There's no warm-up drills when you come back out again. It's time to play basketball. So we did that a little bit where we'd go to the locker room, we'd come out, um, and we would go right to the jump ball, and we would play. Um, the thing I found out, great energy. Kids love to play. They right. love playing. So you're going to get great effort. You're going to get great energy right off the bat. Um, we do a lot of five-on-five. Five. We do a lot of five-on-five. Five. So um, we've taken a lot of half-court drills and turned them into full-court drills. So – uh, for example, we might do a four-on-four um, offensive drill. Uh, it's an offensive drill, but with, there's going to be some defensive uh, things in there as well. And then we're going to play it back the other way. So if it goes in, we're taking it out, we're bringing it back. If we get the D rebound, we're going to push it hard and bring it back um, because that's the way the game is played. The game is played that way. So I don't really like checking the ball up on top and then playing and then getting a rebound, stopping going back and checking again. I want them to transition and convert because that's the way the game is going to be played. So we do a lot of live stuff, three-on-three, four-on-four, five-on-five, two-on-two, all built with the idea of transitioning and converting from O to D because I think that's the way the game's played. Yeah, and I love that. Don't you feel the game – the practices have to be as much game-like as possible? For example, you know, if we're scrimmaging – we're not going to take it up top. We're going to start with a sideline out of bounds, a baseline out of bounds, correct? Absolutely. We do. We start a lot of different ways, sideline out of bounds, baseline out of bounds, free throw blockout. Um, we start out that way a little bit. Uh, we'll do a lot of different things. You're right, because the, that's the way the game is. Coming out of a timeout, you don't check it in and play. You've got to take it out of bounds somewhere. Um, so we start a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I just like – and the kids like playing. I mean – if you've got competitive players, they want to play. They don't just want to be on defense for five straight minutes. They want to have the ability to defend and then go play offense, which is the way the game is going to be played. And if you're playing offense, you've got to learn that if you turn it over, you better get back and defend. You know, you have to find a way to let it go because you've got to get back and defend. Basketball is one of those few sports where the transition from O to D is continuous and you've got to find a way to let it go and get back and defend. I think that's a great reason to continually play with them and not stop it every time and take it on top. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's great wisdom, Coach. I really appreciate that. My 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 last couple questions, yep. it has to do with team leadership, uh, player leadership. Um, I feel like I listened to a podcast from Tim Kite from called Focus 3, and they believe that there's four types of players you have. Cynical, compliant, which is just barely getting it done, committed and compelled. And he said that you need more committed and compelled players on your team to be successful. And compelled is players doing whatever it takes to get better. Um, 
what do you think about that? Do you, do you try, do you have, you probably don't have that many compliant or cynical players, but at the high school level, we do. How can yep. we, how do you groom leaders in your program? Um, well, obviously culture is something that hopefully gets handed down from year to year. So in the locker room, hopefully our seniors are, are explaining to the younger kids why we do what we do, why coach says what he says, why we act the way we act, all that stuff. Um, and then it gets passed down from, you know, from class to class. But the biggest thing that I've learned in regards to leadership is you can talk about it with your kids and you can talk about it with your kids and you can talk about it with your but if they don't ever get a chance to implement and actually lead, I'm not sure if you're doing them any favors. We do a lot in our program about giving our seniors an opportunity to lead. So we have two kids on our team that are phenomenal teammates. They're great kids. I mean, just high character, all about the group, um, just care about everybody getting along. You know, those kind of those let's all get along type of kids. Sure. And they are responsible for twice a week in our team meetings coming up with an icebreaker activity for our team because they're all about the team. So they get a little leadership. They get an opportunity to kind of come up with an icebreaker, to implement it, to run it. Um, we have a group of three players that are, I think are fully into our program that understand our system that watch film with me twice a week. And when they watch film with me twice a week, I sometimes let them lead a film session in practice or before practice because I know that they know what we're doing because we've talked about it. It's just giving them opportunities to lead once you've shown them or explained to them what you want out of them. Um, I, I think it's, I don't think it's any different at the high school level. I mean, I, I just think they've got to first learn what you want. And once they learn what you want, you've got to give them an opportunity to try to go do what you want. Now they're going to fail. I mean, our kids still fail. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fail, but I, I just try to teach that, use that as a learning experience and then have them come back and do it again. But the more they do it and the more successful they are, the more confident they're going to get and the greater leaders are going to become. So we spend a lot of time talking about it. And then we spend a lot of time giving them opportunities to lead throughout the program throughout the week. Yeah, I love that. And, and give me give me one example of a good icebreaker activity that your players did. Oh, gosh, we've done a bunch of them, and there's been some screwy <laughs> ones. So the other day, matter of fact, this is how screwy it is. The other day, um, a, a little uh, a little pudding, a spoon, and a blindfold. And you've got a kid with a blindfold um, eating a pudding, a kid with a spoon in her hand of pudding blindfolded, and a third player trying to explain to them how to get it in the mouth. And so trying to direct them through it, you know what I mean? So we're working on some communication skills, having a little fun. So you've got the third kid trying to explain to the kid with the spoon how to get it into the mouth of the kid that's sitting there, you know, a little higher, a little lower, a little to the left, straight forward, you know, and there's putting all over their faces. We're taking pictures and we were sending it to them, just having a little fun with it. Um, we picked up one from John Gordon that we really liked, uh, Hero Highlight Hardship, uh, where you go around and, and each kid talks about a hero that they, that they have, a highlight of, of their life, and then maybe a hardship that they've gone through. Um, just different things like that to get the kids to just share. Um, and they're really quick. They're not very long. Um, but um, when we did the hero highlight hardship, matter of fact, it actually took 50 minutes because it got pretty deep. And when it gets real deep, the kids get vulnerable. When you get vulnerable, I think you get a lot of trust and then you get a lot of growth. And so that's a few that we've done. Um, we've done, we've done a lot more. I just can't remember off the top of my head. So <laughs> 
Yeah, I love that. And you're trying to get the kids to connect and open up, which nowadays they're more, they don't do that as much these days, right? Because of the phones no. and everything. Is that right? Well, you know, if we gave them all headsets and all give them phones on the floor, they'd communicate like anybody's business. <laughs> I mean, we, we'd be able to, we, we would, in conversion, we would match up so fast if we all had phones on and we're able to talk to one another. You know, it would be, it would be amazing. I tell them that all the time, but you know what? Yeah, you are correct. They do isolate themselves a little bit and they hide behind um, the technology now, in my opinion. And if you can just get them to kind of step out of their comfort zone a little bit and have a little fun and to just let their guard down and know that they're in a safe environment, you know, that's the biggest thing for me is that we always tell the kids, whatever's said in here stays in here. If I ever catch wind that it's leaving here, we're going to have a problem. You know, it stays here. It, the locker room should be sacred. Our team meetings should be sacred. Nothing should leave. Nothing gets put on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else there is that's out there. And when they learn that they're in a safe environment, I think they let their guard down. And when they let their guard down, they learn that, hey, I can trust my teammates. And then you get to see the other side of them. That's the fun part. You're like, hey, man, you know what? That kid, she's pretty funny. Man, we need to see that side of her. She's, she's actually pretty funny, you know, because she's been so reserved. So it's just an element where I do agree with you. I think it is harder to connect with them um, because they do kind of use their phones a little bit. But, you know, we, we just try really hard to try to take the phone, not take them away but eliminate the phones as much as we can when we're together as a team. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It sounds like your success as players coaching players is probably more important than coach coaching players. I mean, Absolutely. You're playing- we, yeah. You are 100% correct. I just told him the other day, you want a player-led team. You don't want a coach-led team. You want a player-led team. You don't want a coach leading this team because you're not going to like the way he's going to do it. You know, because I'm 45 years old and and – you know, the way I do things is vastly different than the way you do things. You want a player led team. My job is to advise them is to direct them and to help them in their leadership of the team. But you want a player led team, in my opinion, all the time. You don't want a coach led team. Yeah. Cause basically the players are going to run the team. I mean, even though we're, we're teaching all different philosophy, your players are actually going to your key players are going to run that team no matter what, right, Coach? Absolutely. Uh, I'm not in the locker room, you know. I mean, I'm not in there, so I don't know what's being said. Um, I have to trust that the things that are being said are the right things that are being said, and that's usually going to be the players that have the greatest buy-in, you know. And so um, when you've got your best players, and this is why it's crucial, we said this before, when your best players are your are your best buy-in players, you, you don't have any problem with everybody else because in the locker room, the right things are being said. On the floor, the right things are being done. In the classroom, the right approach is being done. And so when you have that, you have a player-led team. And when you have a player-led team, you've got a real powerful situation, in my opinion, and the coaches can focus on coaching, which is what we all want to do, not babysitting, which obviously none of us want to do. No, that, that that's great wisdom right there, <laughs> Coach. Um no, we definitely don't want to babysit him. Uh, no, believe no. me, I've had teams in the past where it was that. But, um, hey, give me a last question, Coach, and I really appreciate the time. You're so knowledgeable and give us great insight. Give us one – I'm a one-word guy. Our word this year is humility for our program. What is your word for your program this year? Boy, for this year – um expectation 
that we don't really have a word, but that would be the word that would come to mind. And it isn't just the expectations of the outside people looking into our program, but the expectations of the in the people inside the program towards the other people inside the program. What do you expect out of your teammate on the floor? What do you expect out of your teammate in the locker room, in the weight room? How much film do you expect them to watch? Do you expect them to shoot extra? You know, the expectations, um, everybody can talk about how good they want to be, you know, but again, do your actions reflect your words? So I, I would use the word expectation for our group for this year, not just from the outside in, but certainly from the inside in as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, um, usually people think of expectations usually is from the outside or from the coach's perspective. I love that. Um, Coach, you have so many good videos and information out there. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, Well, they can certainly, obviously, they can text me or call me anytime. I I can just give them my number right now if you want. That's perfectly fine. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, it's 701-430-9018. Uh, you can reach out anytime. If I don't get back to you right away, um, I promise hopefully within 24 hours I'll get back to you. Um, you can certainly reach out. I, I love talking basketball. I love certainly talking about leadership and program development. Um, you can email me anytime. My email's on our website. It's just my name. It's dennis.hutter at maybillstate.edu. Um, again, you can reach out anytime. I'm not the best email guy. I got to get better at that. My wife tells me that all the time. I need to be a better email guy. Um, she, uh, I need to be better at it, but I usually try to reply as quickly as I can. Um, I did have a website. Um, the website is down. We're in the process of getting it back up. I'm hoping it's going to be back up in the next couple of weeks. And it basically was just www.coachhutter.com. And um, so I'm hoping to get that back up here in the next couple of weeks. And that would have a lot of the stuff on there that we talked about. A lot of the videos would be back on there again as well. And it's just a, a forum where coaches can go. Um, there's a bunch of handouts on there. You can print them off. You can change the header and put your program up there. That's all I did. I probably just took it from somebody else and changed the header and put my name on it um, and, and just do what we can to just share the knowledge as much as we can. So that's basically the best way. I do have a Twitter account. You can follow me if you want to, uh, you know, at Coach Hutter on Twitter if, if you want to do that as well. But just love talking basketball and would be happy to help out anybody that I can and would love for advice and for information and drills and things like that to help our program grow as well. Coach, thank you so much. You definitely proven my theory that the small college coach has are some of the best teachers of the game out there. I fully believe that you guys have to get maximum out of your players. I, I, I really appreciate the insight. You have made me a better coach today. So thanks for sharing with us. Well, I appreciate it very much. I appreciate having me on. Like I said before, I do appreciate the podcast. I mean, just the ability to share knowledge, you know, through the form of a podcast is great. And I appreciate the opportunity to share and you asking me to come on. And hopefully this was beneficial for somebody out there at least. (laughs) Absolutely. Coach, thank you so much. I wish you the best. I'll definitely keep up with you guys. I've always, I definitely want to stay in contact and so forth, but I really appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you, coach. Anytime. I appreciate it. Have a good week. All right, you too, Dennis. Thank you. Right, yep, bye-bye. Hey, coaches. This is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast, and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.
Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, this is Sean Glaze of Great Results Team Building, and you're improving your team culture by listening to Coach Kevin Furtado and the Championship Vision Podcast.